Warning, this podcast involves discussions of a spooky and graphic nature not suitable for children or the faint of heart. Strong language and mature content is present. Listener discretion is advised. You have been warned. Spooksters, and welcome back to another episode of Stabby Snippets here on Three Spooked Girls. It is I, one of your co-hosts, Jessica, and as always, I am joined by my better pod half, Tara. Hey, Spooksters. Today, I had a feeling like everyone was going to be like, guess what she's going to cover? I'm not covering the Golden State Killer today, guys, so. Yet. (laughs) Take a chill pill. I want to be able to digest. I watched like (laughs) a lot of hours of court today. And have a lot of opinions, but want it to be perfect for you guys. So I did find you another case, which I did not know existed until last week and I'm excited about. Ooh, okay. So today we're going to be talking about the murder of Simon Montalvo. And it's going to be, it's an interesting little story. So in April, this we're going to travel back to April of 2013. Simon Montalvo kind of goes and his family go missing. In fact, on the 21st of April, 2013, Simon and his family were last seen at a burger joint in Arlington, Texas. They lived in DeSoto, Texas, which I'm assuming is close because I'm bad at California geography. So let me tell you, like Texas geography, I'm worse. (laughs) On April 21st is the last time they're seen. And on April 28th, the whole family is reported missing. His brother calls the police and says, hey, my brother has like they haven't been answering their phone. We're getting really worried. No one's seen the family. We tried to like, you know, find them, but we're not being successful at all. So they report it and the police are like, man, maybe they just all up and moved. This was kind of one of those moments where like they didn't really take it seriously. Simon's brother had mentioned how Maria, which is his wife, had been a little rowdy in the past, if we want to call it, the year before on his birthday. She got pissed at him and threw a metal hot pad trivet. She threw it at his head on his birthday. So, like, if that's what she does on birthdays. Happy birthday! Right? Like, oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) Oof. So, basically, because the police kept blowing them off and they kept saying, like, this is the last known that they were seen, which was, like, the 21st. So, on May 4th, 2013, at 10.30 p.m., because he wanted to go at night so that he wouldn't be seen... Simon's brother goes to Simon's house to install a security camera because their dog is there and their dog is still alive. Oh. I don't know how. (laughs) (laughs) But the dog is there. The dog is still alive. So they think that someone's coming and going to and from the house. So they go into the backyard to install it and they start to smell something that's very foul, which kind of makes me go like, how are his neighbors not smelling this right so they go into the backyard and they see like kind of over by this like back fence area or by the fence that there's this like weird thing this weird shaped black bag under a pile of rocks and it was like his and his other brother went over and they touched the black bag and he said that he felt a hand (gasps) so he immediately stopped and called the police it's like the tiktok the tiktok where the kids found the body in the suitcase yeah 
Very similar. Gross. That's what I was thinking the whole time. I was like, oh, my God, this is very familiar. So the body was wrapped in trash bags and then wrapped in a blanket. And then it was covered with, like, big paver stones. We'll talk about that a little bit later, which is so freaking creepy that he, like, touches the bag and, like, there's a hand. So the police come and they're like, oh, my God, we presume it's Simon. And the police ID him pretty quickly. And they notice that he has been shot six times, twice in the head. Oh. Mind you, like, up until this point. The police said they've gone over to the house a couple of times and gone into the house and investigated. Which, if that was the fucking case, let's be real here. They would have found exactly what this was. Because they went in and, like, in the hallway there was blood. And then in the master bedroom there was, like, a ton of blood. Oh, God. So, (laughs) if you were, like, you know... A good cop, you would have seen it. Unless they maybe just like went right inside the door and they were like, okay, there's no one here. Or they looked for like breaking, like entry break-ins, that kind of thing. But the police did in a 2016 report, they said that they had gone over to the residence several times in the two weeks the family was missing. The police began to look for the family because, like I mentioned before, he had a wife. Her name is Maria, and she's 41 years old at the time. They had two sons, one who was five and one who was 11. And that was a great concern because they're like, what if this was like an intruder who came in and like killed the father and then like kidnapped the wife and sons? So they start reaching out and they find that Maria has some family in Indiana. So the police travel from Texas to Indiana and they find the boys and they interview them. And while they're interviewing them, the 11 year old boy says something very interesting. He said the night before they left, his parents got into an argument. The boys were told to go to bed, and so they did. And in the middle of the night, they wake up to hearing three loud clapping sounds, which they thought was odd, but they went back to sleep. Like, I can understand being 11, not understanding what was going on, hearing a weird noise, and then just like, okay, I'm going to go back to sleep. I mean, I'm the person who saw a ghost and rolled over and went back to sleep, so I have no room to talk. As a damn adult. (laughs) (laughs) As an adult. So... They just like went back to sleep. Well, the next morning they woke up and their dad wasn't there. And the oldest son is like, mom, where's dad? And she just said he left. So they just assumed that he went to work. She didn't say he went to work, just that he left and wasn't there. And the mom was like, okay, you guys need to pack because when we, you guys get home from school, we're going to go visit some family members in Indiana. And the oldest son was like, mom, I'm really confused because last night I heard these three loud clapping sounds. And she says, oh, Well, last night a cabinet fell over, so that's probably what you heard. The 11-year-old boy then asks the police officer that's interviewing him. That seems weird because wouldn't a cabinet only make one clapping sound when it hit, like it make a big thud? And the police officer was like, yeah, that would be weird. So the boys say that the mother picked them up from school and then drove them to Indiana where she dropped them off with her relatives and then left. And was not seen for a long-ass time. Oh, God. Right. So that was in 2013. In 2016, the police were needing some help, so what they decided to do was release some footage from a um, security tape that they had found because apparently the Montalvos had a security system in their house, at least a camera in the backyard. And they took three years to look at it? No, no, they had it. Oh. They just let it be known three years. They don't know how. Oh, like, okay. Like, I think what happened is the timeline of this is they ignored it. They didn't think it was interesting. And then all of a sudden they were like, oh, okay, 
we found the dead body. Let's do a search of the house. And then they find the security system. Got you. Which tells a very interesting story. So about 1 a.m., you hear the gunshots. Then you see Maria putting her husband into the back of her SUV. She's like dragging him. And then she pulls the SUV around to the backyard. She pulls him out on a blanket and then basically uses the blanket to drag his body across the yard. Oh, God. And like she's struggling. And this was interesting because I was listening to like True Crime Daily podcast because they covered this. And it was interesting because one of the things that a lot of people say in regards to women who are killers who move bodies, they're like, how could a woman move a body? And she's like, you can see it's not with without difficulty, but she could do it with the sheet because she brought up a really good point is that like dead weight is so much heavier than like, you know, when you pick up a kid, they like jump with you. And so they like give you the inertia. But like, I don't know if you've ever had to like deadlift someone off the floor. No, it's not fun. I was like, <laughs> mm, no, <laughs> the closest thing is George being like <laughs> totally passed out. <laughs> <laughs> I used to uh, do like caregiving for like a family friend. Occasionally, the lady that I was taking care of would forget that she couldn't walk without her walker and without help. So she would like get up in the morning and like stand up, like try to stand up and then fall. So I'd have to deadlift her off the floor because she couldn't help me at all. And she's a tiny little woman and it was a lot. So I was wondering how the frick she moved him. So that's crazy. I'm sure even with the blanket, it would still probably be difficult, you know? Oh, yeah. The uh, footage is on our sources page. And you can see it's not without difficulty. Like, she's really trying and struggling to move him. Mm -hmm. So then you see her, like, the next morning. And she takes the kids to school. And then she comes back. And she's, like, moving. You see her moving the pavers, like, different places around the yard. She had some in her SUV. And then she moved them from around the yard to place on the body so you just see her and it's like an hour or so that she's just like doing this and then she had the foresight to spray down her patio she had malice forethought yeah definitely so in june of 2013 she was indicted on murder in absentina absentia i say that wrong it's basically like she's not there to be charged so in her absence they're charging her with murder so yeah, and then in 2013 or 16 they released the video and then they bring up the fact that she had domestic violence. She'd actually been arrested and served no time because she was only charged with a misdemeanor and she was basically put in like an inversion therapy and I don't know if it obviously it didn't work, but like I don't know if she even ever completed it. So then from 2013, we know nothing of Maria where she's been. Well, dum dum I'm going to call her dum-dum here because we're in COVID-19 land, right, guys? So everyone knows that all borders right now are being heavily scrutinized. This isn't like a regular Tuesday. You can just maybe cross and they're not going to flag you. But because they're heavily scrutinizing people, on May 19th, 2020, Maria was caught trying to enter the U.S. at the U.S.-Mexico border in San Diego. Dum-dum. Big dum-dum. And here's the thing. is like her identity was flagged. So she was using her identity. She didn't even have no fake ID. What the fuck? <laughs> right. I was like, wait, what's happening? 
And I don't know if it was like her actual like Maria Montavo or like her maiden name or what, but like it was enough to what like ever name she was using was easily identified as her and was flagged in a system. <laughs> On around June 12th, she was extradited back to Texas and she's being charged with murder and her bail has been set for one million dollars. Damn. Damn, that's so recent. Right? I'm excited about this one because it's like, here's the point that they made on the True Crime podcast, True Crime Daily podcast. They were like, we don't understand this. Like this apparently happens a lot that like people like leave the commit like a crime, like murder or something like that, and then leave the country and then get caught reentering the country. Like why you come back? Right. Like when we did the like the medical murders one, like my dude, he left the country and then was like, oh, I'm going to go to this country, but I'm stupid enough to think that I could fly through Chicago. So the one question that's on everyone's minds is, well, they assume that she's been coming back and forth for years. Oh, okay. Which that makes a lot of sense, right? Like in a pre-COVID-19 world, she may not have been flagged. Especially like if she was using a maiden name or something like that, or maybe an alias. But like I was having a conversation with someone who lives in like um, Imperial County, which is like, by the way, that county is like has like a 23% infection rate of COVID. So it's basically like one in four people. So if you live in that county, oh my God, I'm so sorry. And my heart goes out to you. And I just wanted you to get better. Yeah. Oof. But stay in your county. (laughs) (laughs) But I was talking to someone from there and they were saying that what it is, is it's like it's Americans who have dual citizenship that are like in Mexico and they can go back and forth freely. And they're going to like Mexicali City and they have a huge COVID outbreak and then they're coming back into this county. And I'm like, I would be like, no, pick one and sit. (laughs) Right. Like I can't even come into work. Well, I mean, right now we're still working from home. But like once we do, like if I am, if it's like a hundred point five temperature, I can't go into my office. So like, why are you crossing to like infected places? People knock it off. (laughs) But anyway, so they were saying that a lot of people go back and forth at those borders and they've really had to like tighten down. And so anyone who doesn't, even if you have like U.S. citizenship, it takes a lot more to get through these days. So she stupidly came through during COVID. Worst time, but good because then she got caught for murder. Truth. But it's like seven years. Like that was the headline that caught me was like woman captured after seven years. Yeah. Like we talked about other people who get caught within like, oh my God, they were on the run for like three whole weeks. This is crazy. It's like that butch guy who's still wherever the fuck he is. Maybe they'll find him. (gasps) That gives me hope. Okie dokie. Well, that wraps it up. I am excited to bring this case into our unisphere of cases that we'll talk about. And of course, we will keep you updated. Mm -hmm. So until next time. Bye, guys. Bye.